It's a beautiful day and a fine time for healing. Podcast host Randy Fine, a narcissistic abuse expert and the author of the groundbreaking book, Close Encounters of the Worst Kind, and the captivating memoir, Cliff Edge Road, invites you into her sanctuary, a place where your physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being are all that matter. So put your feet up, relax, and enjoy today's show. And now, here's Randy. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to listen to A Fine Time for Healing, when I know many of you are getting ready for the Christmas holidays. Some of you have already begun the Hanukkah holiday, and um, so you're well into it. But for those who are just uh, getting ready for Christmas, you just have very little time left. So I know you're busy. If you're listening to us today, I thank you so much for taking the time to do that. Today's special guest, biotech expert Harry Glerickian, envisions a world where personalized mobile healthcare leads to earlier detection, less time wasted in waiting rooms, and significantly lower healthcare costs for consumers. His overarching message is clear. There's quite literally nothing about health and wellness that won't be utterly transformed by the power of artificial intelligence or also known as AI. Harry's the author of the empowering new book, The Future You, How Artificial Intelligence Can Help You Get Healthier, Stress Less, and Live Longer. He shows readers what is coming and helps them understand how to use the power of technology, technology that they are very already likely using, um, to create personalized healthcare experiences. Harry is a global business agent, healthcare entrepreneur, health of the podcast series, The Harry Glerickian Show, and author. He's also the author of Moneyball, Medicine, and the Diagnostics Textbook, Commercializing Novel IVDs. Good morning, Harry, and welcome. Hello. Hello. Good good morning. Thank you so much for having me. You're so very welcome. Okay, so, you know, artificial intelligence is something that we, you know, we hear about and everything, but in your book, The Future You, you talk about how it's already here and how it's being used for healthcare. So what is your connection to AI? Do you work in that field? So I've been working in healthcare and life sciences my whole career, and so, uh, you know, Naturally, you start incorporating these things into your work, and you see where it has um, a lot of impact on how it's going to change healthcare. And I also work in the venture capital industry, and so we are working with many different companies and funding them that are incorporating AI and machine learning into their approach to different uh, healthcare platforms or services or technologies that may reach patients. I think it's just so fantastic and really interesting. So you say in your book, here's what AI and big data are doing, are already accomplishing or aiming to accomplish in healthcare. Um, some of, do you, can you tell us some of the things that artificial intelligence is already being used for in healthcare? 
Well, there's a number of, you know, there's a lot of different areas. I mean, I would say the broadest or the largest area might be anything that involves imaging. So if you think about radiology, if you go in and have an X-ray or an MRI or a CT, there's a lot of AI that's being used there to assist the radiologist in seeing what's there quickly or identifying the problem. And instead of it being the 100th scan they look at, it might be the number one scan they look at because the machine says there looks like there's a problem here. Um, so that would be the first area or pathology, um, the study of say dead tissue or um, you know, when someone has a tumor, uh, it will help somebody make a decision there. Uh, and then you know, on the consumer-oriented side, uh, it's things like when you take an ECG at home with uh, some of the devices that you can have at the house, the AI can actually read the trace of the ECG and tell you if there's a problem or not immediately. Okay. So tell us what artificial intelligence actually is. <clears throat> So my understanding of it is that it teaches itself to learn and it becomes more intelligent as it goes. Is it, am I correct or is, am I incorrect? <laughs> so, I mean, if you think about artificial intelligence in its, in its most, in its, if I could speak, uh, in its most basic terms, um, it's where it can do something that a human does, but, you know, it does it well over and over and over again. So think of it like pattern recognition. Um, and so if, if the, the systems you're talking about are called deep learning systems, that as you feed it more, it learns more. But, it, but an artificial intelligence system can see, can just be taught that a certain pattern needs to be recognized and highlighted to you. Um, so it can be very simple to very, very complex and when, so when you say artificial intelligence, think of it more like a, a toolbox. And inside the toolbox, there are different tools that would be, fall under that definition that you would use in different situations, like you need a wrench or a screwdriver. Hmm. Okay. All right. <clears throat> so I went far beyond <laughs> what AI can do. Um, <laughs> Yes. Well, it, you know, again, I think it's, it's uh, people think about uh, Star Trek or Commander Data when they think about artificial intelligence, but there are some very simple forms of artificial intelligence, and there are okay. some much more complex forms. Okay. All right. So, yeah, I'm thinking more like HAL, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like the computer yeah. HAL, right? Yeah. Right. I'm thinking more like yeah. that. Okay. Where he takes over, um, which I think could eventually happen, but all right. So if you're talking about MRIs and scans and things like that, that's been going on for quite a while. Has it always been AI? No, not at all. It's, it's always been um, humans, you know, looking it over and trying to make their best judgment. And if you think about that, um, you know, at some point, humans, we're all fallible. Um, we get tired. <laughs> we, we had an argument with our spouse. Um, you know, there are always some issues that we may or may not have to deal with. But the machine, the machine can do pattern recognition over and over and over again without ever getting tired. Um, and it does it better and better over time. So, uh, you know, 
it's a great assistive technology to the people in that department. Um, you know, now there are FDA cleared products that are on the market that people can use that when you use the machine alone, you might see about 80%. Uh, you know, if you use the human alone, you might see about 85%, but if you put the machine and the human together, you can you know, you see about 93%. So now all of a sudden you're, you're raising the bar bar by the two being integrated together. Okay. Thank you. Um, I think we all have maybe gotten used to and have even maybe surpassed with annoyance the the new healthcare system, which, or actually it's an old new healthcare system where every doctor has to send us to another doctor. And that's really frustrating. And um, no, there's no diagnostician anymore. It's all specialists and everything. So we're just getting used to that, not liking it, but getting used to it. And then we're getting used to um, nurse practitioners and um, assistants and things like that seeing us. So now we sort of are moving into another kind of healthcare where it's going to be mobile, mobile or uh, computerized or along those lines. How, are, how do you envision healthcare changing? Oh, I, so I, I try to always lean to the positive, but, I, you know, identify the negative. But it's, I see right now, you know, costs are going up and up and up. Um, first of all, I see hopefully that we'll be able to solve the what's called the interoperability problem. In other words, you go from one hospital to the other and you can actually get your medical records. Um, right now, that is almost virtually impossible. <laughs> um, or oh, wow. Difficult. Um, hmm, okay. So I'm hoping that the computer systems and also Congress and the Senate will help make changes there so that we can actually allow that to happen. The second thing is I'm hoping that as incorporating these technologies that we can diagnose people faster and more accurately so that the people inside the hospital can do what they do best, which is treat them um, or provide that care that a human provides to another human. Um, and you know, finally, I hope that many of these technologies, because they do it faster, um, and, you know, in an accurate manner, that we can drive down the cost of this because, you know, medicine has historically been trial and error, right? I'm trying to figure out what's wrong with you, and I'm not always 100% right, but that still has to get paid for. What if I'm right, you know, more often times than not, and you get treated the right way or the optimal way, and so you get better or you're not in the system as long, the costs go down. So these are all the things that I look for when I'm thinking about, um, you know, which companies I'm looking at, will they have a technology that will move the needle or make a difference in the system or in the life of a patient? Hmm. So in other words, you know, we could go in with a list of symptoms and it could be sort of fed into a computer and hopefully figured out. Is that kind of what you're saying? Uh, technically, yeah. Or, or, you know, the doctor could order certain tests and all those different 
you know, inputs the system could look at and give you a more accurate uh, predictability of what the problem is. And not just that, based on what the problem is, it might even point and say, here are the most effective treatments um, from everybody that's been treated with that, as opposed to just what the doctor knows in their head. Right. So imagine you take a, a scan of something. The, the doctor's judgment is only as good as the number of scans they've looked at. But right. the machine has looked at millions of scans. Right. That makes sense. Um, so what is the future of smartphone medicine? <clears throat> How are we going to be using that? I'm sorry. I, the, I didn't hear the word. Oh, I'm sorry. What is the future of smartphone medicine? How are we going oh, to be using medicine. that? Yes, yes, yes. Oh, so, you know, if you think about the smartphone, right, there's more power in the smartphone than when we sent, you know, astronauts to the moon. Um, <laughs> so yes. you're carrying around mm-hmm. a supercomputer in your pocket uh, already. But, you know, if you think about, um, like I use my smartphone with other devices all the time, like I'm always checking my sleep. And so you think about, you know, if I get better sleep, my body performs at a better level and, you know, hopefully – you know, I'm a healthier person is because of it. Um, I use my ECG, which is attached to my phone, uh, and that can look at the trace of my electrical activity of my heart and tell me if there's a problem. My blood pressure cuff is hooked up to my phone, um, and I can look at what's going on and, you know, with a push of a button, send it to my physician, um, as well as my scale and uh, even my continuous glucose monitor, let's say, that is, might be on my arm, where after I eat a meal, I can use my phone to scan it and see how that food affected me and my insulin levels and whether I need to maybe change that food in my diet so that I don't spike my insulin levels as much. Um, but you see where I'm going with this. Like, it's on and on and on. It's a lot of this is in my hand as opposed to five years ago. You know, some of these items that I'm talking about, you had to go to the physician's office to get treated. Or what if I gave you a, um, a handheld ultrasound that was hooked up to your phone and the phone says, uh, move a little up, move a little down, a little to the right, a little to the left, and it's the AI helping you take an optimal ultrasound without being a trained technician. That already exists. Wow, I love that. That's so cool. That already exists? How do we get that? That already exists. How do we get that? (laughs) (laughs) Is it it mainstream yet or not yet? (laughs) Well, it's not mainstream. It's, you know, it's available to, you know, uh, these, these devices are, you know, like the ultrasound is not in it, it not uh, inexpensive. But all the other devices I'm talking about are, you know, you can get a wireless blood pressure cuff, I think, these days for like $40. The ECG I was talking about is $80. Um, you know, they're not hundreds or thousands of dollars, and it's bringing, the price is coming, you know, keeps coming down. Uh, to become more affordable. 
And so what you used to have to go to your doctor for, um, to have measured, you'll be able to measure at home and then take the data and send it to your doctor, or it can automatically communicate the information to your doctor. And so instead of your doctor struggling to manage you once a year when you go visit him, they have this data in their system, and the system can highlight for them when it looks like something is going wrong. So you know when you're driving your car and the little light goes on yep. and says there's a problem? Yep. Or, or the washing machine signals the main you know, hub and says something is going to break eventually? Right. Well, we don't have that right now. But imagine that with these technologies, you can see something happening before it happens and fix it. Wouldn't you want that instead of getting sick and then having to treat it afterwards? Truly. So what I'm thinking as you're saying this is, um, so how are doctors going to charge for that? You know, when they're getting data or data um, sent to them all day long, every day by their patients. So a lot of this happens in an automated way in in the background. There are technologies now called remote patient monitoring companies that will uh, work with a doctor, um, evaluate their patients and say, oh, okay, you have a heart failure issue, so the devices you need at home are the following. And they will automatically get sent to you, reimbursed by insurance, um, but every time you take a measurement, the data goes into the physician's electronic medical record. Now, as long as everything is okay, you know, it's not a problem. But if they see something falling out of line, now the system, you know, pings the nurse, you know, call Mr. or Mrs. Smith. Um, and Mr. or Mrs. Smith gets a call and they try to get you back in line as opposed to falling out of line. All those interactions, because they're being measured, uh, you can actually bill, um, you know, insurance and Medicare and Medicaid appropriately for them uh, because... No, so the doctor now gets paid, and the doctor can manage a larger pool of patients because they're using technology. So it's sort of a win-win for everybody. So there's already um, there are already um, companies that are doing this work where they're monitoring for doctors. Yes. Yes. Hmm. Interesting. Is this? Um, what percentage of doctors would you say is currently using that in the United States? I mean, is it a small percentage? Uh, I don't know the exact number, but I would say that right now it's small, but it's, it's, I think it's growing very quickly because, you know, let's say you've got a large practice and you're like, all right, well, how do I manage this better? And, oh, by the way, you know, you always want to take more on, on more patients if you can, if you can do it efficiently. Um, and so these systems allow you to do both. Um, and you know, the doctor always doesn't have to get the alert. It can say that, you know, for all these patients, when certain things happen, like the nurses get the call. So the nurses follow up and then when it gets elevated to a higher level, then the doctor gets involved. Hmm. So it, it makes it much more efficient, whereas instead of the doctor taking everything, right, um, 
you can say, no, level one, let's say I'm making this up, level one goes to the nurses. Level two, that goes to the doctor. And so the nurses can actually coach these patients how to stay more in line. Let's say they're diabetics. And, you, you know, there's a lot of big studies that have been done to show that if you just coach people just a little bit, you can make a huge difference in how healthy they can stay over a longer period of time. I just, I just think this is phenomenal. It's, it's very exciting. I mean, when we think back to 30 years ago, none of this existed. And it's just amazing how quickly technology is advancing. Um, mm-hmm. what, what about um, how AI is helping doctors diagnose cancer? So cancer is one of those areas where I remember when we first started seeing, <clears throat> we were able to identify certain genes that were wrong or certain genes that a certain drug worked on. And, you know, I could keep track of those when it first started happening, right? Because there'd be one here and one there. Now it's, now if I don't, you know, if you didn't have a, you know, computer system to help you with that evaluation, like I think you, you wouldn't be able to keep track of everything and figure it all out, right? So as we keep understanding the drivers of cancer more, the computational systems help us understand, okay, it's these genes and these might be the right drugs or are the right drugs that work against those genes. So it's no longer, you know, the doctor saying, okay, let's do this first and then let's do this and then let's do that. It's trying to get a Google map of the tumor and then understanding what that Google map is saying and then being able to apply the right drugs to that patient. And that whole space is called precision medicine. Um, But let me give you, you know, one more super exciting. And I'm actually, I'm dropping my podcast, uh, my interview with the uh, president of the company um, on January 3rd is a technology that is FDA cleared at the moment where you can take a blood test and the blood test, then they scan your blood for fragments of cancer that are floating around in your blood and then can sequence those and be able to detect early stage cancer and tell you where the cancer is in 50 different cancers. Wow. Imagine you could take this test once a year and catch things before they ever become, you know, a major problem. Wow. So this is available today. Do most oncologists use that? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oncologists, will, will, oncologists will usually come in once the tumor has been identified. Right. Um, right. You'll see, okay, we have a, I have a problem. Um, you should go see, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Oncologist over here. And, uh, you know, but this is, hey, I could go have this blood test. um, And if I can find these cancers, and so so if you think about it, there's only five cancers we can screen for, right? There's 
prostate, colon, breast, lung, uh, prostate, colon, broken lung, and why am I missing one? You're missing. Um, I'm missing one. The most invasive one. I know what you're talking about. Well, there's brain cancer too. There's brain cancer. No, but you can't screen for that. You can't, you can't screen, screen for that. There's no okay. test for screen for that. Um, right. So, if yeah. you, I know what you're talking if about. <laughs> this, you can actually screen for 50 cancers, and most of them there's no screening test for. So you got to wait for the surprise. Hmm. Um, you know, it sneaks up on you. Whereas this thing can tell you there's something coming. Wow. And so you need AI to help make sense of you know you know the sequencing data, you need it to help you identify what part of the body it's coming from. And so you can see it way ahead of time. Now, there's also a technology that's coming out of MIT where you can do a mammogram and, uh, you know, the system can actually see a breast tumor forming five years before a human can actually see it. Wow. So imagine you can see something that early. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And you can say, okay, well, now we can keep an eye on it or, <laughs> you know, do something about it, right? It, it, that all depends on the physician. But instead of waiting for a lump or something to show up, get ahead of it. And so you see how these technologies can be that warning light in your car where it can say, hey, hey, something's going on. I mean, there are systems already in intensive care units where, you know, between all the beeps and the bops and the boops, it'll tell the physician, hey, the person in bed number four, they look like in the next 48 to 72 hours, they're going to crash. You should go and do something now before they crash. And so the system has that predictive capability. Or there's a system at Stanford University which will uh, scan the EMRs and tell the physician, hey, this patient has a high probability of dying in the next 12 months. You should meet with them. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Well, you have to understand these systems can process massive amounts of data that a human, we're just not designed to do that. Um, Right. And they can present the data, and then the human can then take that data and then do something with it, right? That's the right. power of these systems. Is healthcare treatment going to catch up with all the diagnoses that are coming in? Well, we have a lot of treatment capabilities. Um, we just don't always we're not always lining up the blocks the right way, right? We're not connecting the dots in the most efficient way. Um, I think most of the inefficiency comes from trial and error. Um, Like, I think this is wrong with you. Let's try this, right? Mm -hmm. And if those things don't line up correctly, you just waste time and money until you get to the right one. Right. Um, I'm hoping that a lot of this helps us get to the right one. We also have a lot of drugs out there that... Um, you know, the drugs aren't, uh, they don't just do one thing. So we are identifying drugs that work in different diseases or in different ways. Um, I guess the one everybody will understand is something like Viagra. 
right? Originally, that was a cardiac medication. That's what it was being developed for. And, you know, a bunch of people came in and said, hey, by the way, there's this side effect that's happening. And then they, and they said, oh, well, let's use it for something else, right? But that's not what the drug was originally developed for. Right. Um, so as, just as an example of something that was supposed to work one place but were also worse in another place. Um, and so these technologies will help us identify new uses of existing drugs. And then if we can actually diagnose people more accurately, we can actually get them or make them a new drug that would work better for them because we're diagnosing them better. Mm. A lot of times okay. people might not get diagnosed right, and therefore they're not getting the right medication. That's true. Sometimes they're over-medicated too, um, you know, taking too many things. Yeah, my, in my experience... The more doctors look, the more they find. And um, <laughs> sometimes the things that they find are benign, but they, because they find it, they have to check it out. So I just, I think <laughs> we could end up having, you know, running for tests all the time. Now, if we could do it from our phone, that would be wonderful. That would make life so much easier if we could just check it out, do an ultrasound from our phone. Um, but I know that, I mean, there's things in the body that go on that really aren't affecting our health, but they show up and doctors have to report it. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, right now, so the system is also, you know, I I get paid, the system gets paid for everything it does, um, as opposed to um, paying for value. Right, so if you got paid for everything that you do, every step that you take, mm-hmm. that's a great. That's great, right? Whether you, whether whether something was right or something was wrong, you get paid, right? Yes, that's fantastic. Um, yeah. I've never had a job like that. Um, but if I pay you for positive outcomes, uh, now all of a sudden monitoring you, um, using technology to measure things becomes much more important, right? If I could just build a car and sell it, like remember what happened when the Japanese were building optimally, you know, designed cars, everybody was like, well, I'll just go buy a Toyota. Um, And then what that forced all the American manufacturers to put in systems to put out a much more reliable car, right? right? And so we're seeing the same thing happen in medicine today where, all these systems are being put in place because uh, the Affordable Care Act actually requires, is starting to move the medical system towards paying for value as opposed to paying for everything. And so Medicare and Medicaid are slowly starting to shift how they pay for stuff instead of saying, yeah, I'll pay you for everything you do. It's, no, 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 no. I want to pay for a positive outcome with that person. And so the only way to do that is you start measuring things. Um, and so I see these technologies helping provide measurements and saying, you know, how can we make the system better so that we get to those positive outcomes as opposed to historical trial and error um, where you think you know what's better, but, you know, you're 
you only know as much as in your head as opposed to the machine giving you a objective, you know, response. And you're, you are at the forefront of helping invest in and grow innovative healthcare companies. So that's, this is what you do, right? To, um, for groundbreaking areas of healthcare and biotechnology. So you're helping to identify these areas and helping to create solutions. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm the kid in the candy store. I mean, I'm, (laughs) I'm always, I'm, there's, there's not a day where I'm not having, you know, well, I shouldn't say that there are days where I'm not having fun because something's going wrong, but I mean, you know, in general, I would say that, you know, every day I'm, I'm looking at technologies that are just, you know, so interesting and so cool on how they're going to move the needle. Um, you know, you can see these things. Uh, you know, I was playing with a robot the other day that interacts with autistic children to teach them how to socialize better. And oh, wow. that robot was not like Siri or Alexa. This thing was having an interactive conversation with me. Um, totally fun. I was like, oh, my God, I want one of these on my desk. Um, <laughs> or, or what if I could, instead of prescribing your child who has an ADHD, uh, a drug, Adderall and Ritalin that have side effects, what if I could prescribe them a video game? And by playing the video game, their ADHD like, gets more under control. That wow. product exists, just FDA cleared. Really? Um, oh, yeah. Uh, so, you know, what if I could use technology to treat you rather than drugs? So there's a lot of these things that are happening that are already here. I mean, actually, nothing I've said to you is in the future. They're all here today. Um, when you start talking about the future, it's way, I mean, there's we can make some huge impacts to human health. The biggest impediment to some of those things is humans. We just, <laughs> you know, most people just are like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, right? And they, 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 they slow things down. And in some cases, yes, it should go slowly because we don't want to make a mistake. But in other cases, they just you know, humans don't like change, uh, even though it has a huge impact on the patient population that they're managing. It's because there's no competition in healthcare. Right? If the guy next door is making a better car, you have to invest to make a better car. But if I get hit by a truck, I go to the local hospital. It's not like I have a choice of which hospital I go to. Right. So you see what I'm saying? That the competitive yeah. nature is not there. Right. So, so two things uh, that, well, the first thing I want to say is um, I have a guest coming on in a few months <clears throat> that talks about how to live 300 years and beyond. And as you're talking, I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, this could be possible. <clears throat> and do we really want to live that long? I'm not sure I want to live that long, but 
I don't think I do either. I don't think three. I I, I don't know if I could take three hundred years here. <laughs> but um, but you know, as we're getting healthier, uh, I guess we'll age. We're already aging, um, you know, slower than we did before. And you know, fifties the new forty, sixties the new fifty, and so forth and so on. <clears throat> so I don't know. I guess, but. Here's the conspiracy theorist in me, and I'm not really much of a conspiracy theorist, but I just thought of it. So how do we keep government out of our health business? Because we have all this information floating around. And I know, like, for me, I, don't want, I, I won't do any of those um, genetic testing or, you know, finding my family or anything like that because I don't want my DNA out there and identifiable. So how do we keep government out of this? Well, so there's a couple of things, right? So if any of your relatives do it, you're kind of exposed to a certain degree, right? It's not like yours is so different than theirs, right? There's, <laughs> they're interconnected in a lot of ways. That's how we identify siblings or relatives or things of that nature, mm-hmm. um, or one of your kids does it. Um, but, uh, you know, in some ways I'd be more concerned about, you know, the Facebooks of the world, the amount of data that people give those groups is frighteningly scary. And what they don't understand is, you know, when you have that information about someone and then you apply AI to it, they don't understand how easily they can be manipulated. They think they're smarter than the machine. That is not possible, right? <laughs> the machine is way, way, I don't want to say way smarter, but way more efficient at manipulating you than you think. Um, those are the things that I would worry about. TikTok, I would worry about things like that, that really have a way of manipulating people. Um, <laughs> the government, uh, you know, when I talk to policymakers, my biggest comment to them is, you guys are way behind the curve and you need to put policy in place because the technology is moving at a million miles a second and you guys are moving like tortoises. <laughs> so, you know, if people want to be protected, they need to be lobbying their congressmen and their Senate and pushing, you know, people to put in the right laws to protect their data and so on and so forth. Um, mm-hmm. The problem is, is, most of these people that are in the Congress and the Senate, they don't know the difference between Facebook and Google, let alone <laughs> what I'm talking about. Um, and so I, I believe they're way behind the curve and they need to move a lot faster. And for a lot of them, I always tell them, you know, put policy out there. If you're wrong, you can fix it. But don't wait for it because the technology isn't waiting for you. Um, I don't think people understand how quickly things are changing. Uh, I mean, I'm barely keeping up with what's going on, and it's changing. You know, if if Google is having an artificial intelligence system design the next artificial intelligence chip, and they do that two or three times, you, you have orders of magnitude improvement 
that would never have happened if it was a human designing the chip. And so, you know, what I can do today compared to what I can do tomorrow, it's, they're not even comparable for the most part in some ways. Um, So I understand what you're saying. I'd be more concerned about the private companies. And the only way to regulate the private companies is to have policy and, you know, laws on the books that say you can or cannot do something. Right. I I don't expect them to police themselves. Yeah. Um, And the government is, you know, they wait until there's a problem and then they, (laughs) then they try to fix it. So they're doing it backwards. Excuse me. Oh, with this, with this, yes. And I think historically that has worked because, you know, things don't move that fast historically. But with what I'm talking about, you know, when we're releasing a new chip or something, it's not like the old days where it was like 10% better or 40% better. It's like, no, no, this is 10 times better or 50 times better or, you know, you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. If it's 50 times better, I can think of a whole brand new application that I couldn't do yesterday. <laughs> so, you know, when you've got that sort of exponential change, you have to like almost have a bunch of people sitting and saying, where could this go? And then put policy in place ahead of time. Right. I'm looking at um, page 93 in your book, and the heading is from Fortnite to facial reconstruction, how video games and AI are transforming surgery. And, you know, and that, that really uh, lit me up because my son is a fifth-year surgical resident, and he is going to be a cosmetic surgeon down the road. So tell me how this is going to change. <laughs> how how AI and oh. virtual reality are going to to help train him for the future. Well, so imagine, I mean, if you think of these video games where there's haptic sensors, right, where they're wearing gloves or a bodysuit and they're playing, and they can feel pressure and concussions and, you know, the whole nine yards. Um, now imagine that I can put a, scalpel in your hand, you know, and put the VR glasses on and you have a patient and when you're cutting it, you can actually feel the resistance. Oh, wow. And, you know, you can see what's happening and then the machine that can then simulate different situations that the physician gets to sort of practice on as they're doing it. And so now they can do, right, as instead of waiting for that one patient that's going to come in and they're going to stand next to someone and then do it in real life, not that I'm saying that's not important, that's very important, but they get to practice and practice and practice and practice in these virtual reality dynamics so that when they get in the room, hey, they I don't want to see they've, they've seen it all, but they've seen a lot more than they had with just the live patient alone. Um, 
robotic surgery, you know, it's the same thing where you can do things with robotic surgery that is way better than opening you up and, you know, then going in, right? If I have yeah. two or three little holes, I can do a lot. Yeah, um, he operates with and, the Da Vinci. You know, he, he, I've seen yeah. videos of him operating with the Da Vinci. It's amazing. Yep, and you can do things with the Da Vinci that you cannot do, you know, with mm. – you can't do the same thing, say, with human hands. You, you have a lot more issues that will happen. Um, but, you know, what if the best surgeon in the world for that is in New York and you're in San Francisco? You know, they, could, they can still, through the right connectivity, operate on you. Wow. <laughs> right? Whoa. The, the, the real, well, it, it, the robot is doing the work, right? Um, right. And the person is, who's behind the robot, does it matter if the person is in the next room or across the country? As long no, as the as internet connection as doesn't go down, you're fine. And, right, as long as there's some, someone with the patient that can um, intervene should there need to be intervention. Yes, yes. Right. Exactly. So, okay, so you know, there uh-huh. are, this is already happening, um, and it's just going to get better. And And... You know, we can thank the the video game world because they're pushing the envelope and the people that make the chips for the video game world are pushing the envelope. And so we take what they're doing and superimpose it into our worlds. And we just take advantage of it. This is so much to think about, and wow, you're really opening up my eyes. I, I mean, I know you're opening up my listeners' eyes because this is, you know, we just don't hear about this every day. Um, okay, what about replacement parts from a 3D printer? You're talking about body parts? You can do body parts. You can do, um, there are a couple places now that are trying to do, say, custom medications where you can 3D print you know, two or three drugs into one pill. Um, really? Yeah, 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 yeah. Where all of this is, is happening, you know, you already seen, uh, you know, where we're able to grow meat in, you know, either a Petri dish or use printers to print it because we want it to have more of a texture. So you have to have different components at different stages. Right, um, but all of this is 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 happening and uh, moving very quickly. Uh, we just have to figure out, you know, always how to get the printer to deliver what we want delivered to the right place at the right time. And then, of mm-hmm. course, you know, feed it with nutrients and so that it it, it grows the way we want to. Right. Yeah, you say the process becomes even more complicated. If you're trying to build a kidney or liver, I mean, I guess that would be that would be a little more difficult. Don't but, but yeah, but it, I guess, is yeah. it coming? <laughs> We've been working on those for a long time. Uh, the problem is, is when you have to create something that's sort of thick and has vasculature, um, it, that has been, uh, you know, a daunting task that, I don't know anybody that's gotten over that yet, but I know that there's a lot of people working on it. Um, But things like, you know, uh, 
people are trying to do veins and arteries and skin um, and different things like that that we can uh, create for, you know, individual patients. Um, there mm-hmm. are people that are creating, like, let's say you needed to create a cast for an arm. I can 3D print you a custom cast. Um, and it looks a lot cooler than the old plaster thing they used to do in the old days. <laughs> wow. This is so exciting. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, like I said, I mean, I always, there's always a negative to everything, you know, I'm talking about, but I try to focus on the positives. Right. Of course. There's two sides. And what about, um, so what about with COVID? Uh, was this used to help create the vaccines for COVID? Is that why they were able to do them so much quicker than they usually do? So we've had lots of advances in technology. So the, you know, first thing you need to understand is the sequence of the bug you're trying to go after. And so, for example, when, when we did SARS, when the first SARS came up, it took us over three months to come up with the first sequence for SARS. Um, by the time COVID came around, the technology had advanced to the point where we were able to do the sequence in 48 hours. So 48 hours versus three months. So we're already moving a lot faster. Um, then the mRNA technology uh, was much easier to say design the new drug you wanted against the target and so 48 hours after we had the sequence, they already had the first ideas of what they wanted to start testing. And so now you're, you're what, four days in, and you've already sequenced it, and you've already got your first ideas of what you want to take forward. That is Incredible. a lot faster. <laughs> that is a lot we faster. we have done things historically, right? Yeah. And then the rest of the process uh, it wasn't just one place where we were making the difference. What was happening was they were doing things in parallel, taking a lot of risk because we wouldn't normally do that. Um, Like in other words, they were building the manufacturing plants before they knew the drug worked. Now you wouldn't normally do that, right? As a business, but because there was government funding, they were like, if it works, we want the manufacturing immediately. And so they did everything in parallel. Um, and that's why everything moved a lot faster. So it wasn't just a technological shift, but it was like, guys, we need to move faster. And how do we go faster? He's still there. Yes, absolutely. Oh, okay. I lost you for a second. Okay. So what does the hospital of the future look like for us? Well, you, you, I'd love to, like, leapfrog, <laughs> tear a bunch okay. of stuff out and put a bunch of new sure. stuff in, but it's not going to happen that way. But okay. um, I think what you're going to see is, uh, A, you're going to have a lot of these technologies that are going to be incorporated into the – into the system, and then um, you're going to see them, they're going to blend into the background at first. Uh, 
you know, where the systems are being put into radiology, where they're looking at the electronic medical record, embedded in some of the tools and technologies that are being used in the background. Um, But I think the hospital of the future is one where um, you're going to have these sensors and technologies at home, and there's an interconnectivity between them so that you can see something happening before it happens and get ahead of it. And so I don't know about 300 years of living, but you're (laughs) going to have, you know, I think we're going to be able to keep people healthier longer. Um, Listen, I'm a big advocate of, I want to live the healthiest life I can live for as long as possible. And then if I drop dead, great. Like, but I don't want to get sick and, slowly deteriorate right if that makes sense i don't Um, think anybody wants to i mean a quick heart attack and buy that's that's the best way to go (laughs) yeah well and and actually it's because i don't even think it's going to be the heart attack per se because like i you know we're going to really stay ahead of some of those things um in in my opinion because of what we can see but um you know, I know two or three people recently, like they were in their 90s, and, you know, they got to a point uh, in one week, you know, quote, systems started to just fail, and they passed away quietly, carefully, you know, without any pain or complications or anything else. And you're like, well, what did they die of? And you're like, well, old age. I don't know how to, you know, I'm sure if I, you know, looked inside, I could see what failed first. It just happened very quickly. They didn't suffer and they had a great life. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's, I'd rather go like that than, you know, a long, you know, disease cycle that I have to go to, go through and suffer along the way. And I think technology is going to let us give many people that opportunity rather than the latter of suffering some debilitating disease. Okay, well, that sounds very promising. Hmm, okay. So what else do you want to tell us? We're coming down to the end of the show, but um, and I asked you some, a lot of questions, but maybe there's something I missed. Is, is there something else important for us to know about this? No, I mean, I wrote the book specifically so that people could understand what's there already so they could incorporate it into their lives. You know, God forbid if they have cancer, you know, what they need to understand about what's going on right now so they can get the the best care or the right drug. Um, but there are many things happening, like, you know, gene therapy these days where you can get one shot. And, you know, certain diseases, you can be completely cured. Um, we're starting to see that with sickle cell, where there was no treatment and now with one shot, you know, people are being cured of sickle cell That's um, amazing. or, you know, her, hereditary blindness in children. You wow. know, I give you a shot in one eye and poof, you know, your eyes start, start come, starts coming back. Wow. Um, Incredible. Right. So, you know, we are getting, there are some absolutely amazing things that are, you know, here. I'm not even going to say that. And, and there's more coming. Um, there's a tsunami of these things that are coming. Um, 
And so, you know, I, Im- I imagine a day where between the preventative care where I can see something happening ahead of time and some of these other therapies that might be able to cure some of these diseases um, after one treatment, like that's a big shift from, oh, my God, you have to take this drug every day for the next 40 years, right? Right. Right. Um, or, or we don't have a drug, so sorry. <laughs> you right. got to live with this sickness, you know, for the next exactly. 40 years. So, how how um, close are we to, um, nerve rege- to nerve regeneration through AI? Actually, there, uh, you know, somebody just, I, I just saw a paper that was saying that it's possible. I have not read it yet. Mm, um, okay. You, 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 I can't tell you how many papers that are on my in my computer that I'm like I, I need to, I need to <laughs> need to make time to read this or at least listen to it while I'm walking um, that uh, are happening. But it's, okay. it truly is fun and fascinating, and yeah, you know, I do think that the average person you know, should have a mild interest in these things because I think it has a dramatic impact on their own health and wellness. Absolutely. I fully agree with you. And, you know, we don't know what we don't know until we hear it. So that's why it's so important that you wrote this book, The Future You, How Artificial Intelligence Can Help You Get Healthier, Stress Less, and Live Longer. Harry, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for waking us all up to all these possibilities. <laughs> thank thank and, you so much for having me. Uh, sorry, I interrupted you. No, it's okay. I was just going to say um, thank you for, you know, waking us up to all these possibilities for writing this book. And if, you know, if, if there's an amazing breakthrough, something we talked about, get back in touch with me and we'll talk about it, okay? Uh, sounds great. Happy holidays and a wonderful new year. Thank you. Same to you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So we are out of time today, but if you have any comments or questions about today's show, you can email me at loveyourlife. No, I keep getting that wrong. Email me at randy at randyfine.com. May joy and serenity always be yours. Goodbye.